Hello, I'm Ian McIntosh and coming up on your super summer edition of the Totally Football Show today. Tottenham find checkbook, sign player and then presumably feeling highly uncomfortable, send him straight back. Wilfred Zaha says ta to Crystal Palace. And what is going on in the East Midlands? There's another cock-up at Forest and a possible cock-oo at Derby. There's tears at the Copper America, a gold drought at the Africa Cup of Nations. We mentioned the Gold Cup for the first time this summer and AC Milan are dumped out of Europe like an England under-21 side. Coming at you like a visibly buzzing teenager in a PSG shirt and a bucket hat, it's the Totally Football Show. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with Duncan Alexander from Opta. Hi Ian, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. You're looking incredibly tanned, but only in certain places. Well, yeah, I'll show you the the rest later. If you could put your clothes back on, that would be wonderful. Well, it is quite warm, so. No, I was in France last week in the the famous French heatwave, so experienced heat. What were you doing there? Cycling in the mountains. But yeah, it was... um, you know the John Barnes, after 90 minutes of sheer, how are you going to get thirsty? It was more like 90 seconds. Oh, so, ouch. Yeah. That, that's way too energetic for me. James Horncastle's here. Hello, James. Hello. That's enough. Good to see you. <laughs> Nick Miller. Hello. All right. And Manny Jasmi from the BBC World Service. How are you, Manny? Hello, Ian. Welcome. Glad, glad to be here. Pre-season debut. Cool, yeah. Welcome to the subterranean jazz basement. Thank you very much. Um, we, we won't be here much longer, but uh, it's nice to have you here. You're going to tell us all about your trip to Egypt and the African Cup of Nations a little later, but we're going to start with Spurs because you're actually a Spurs fan, and Spurs have done a signing. They have. After five more than 500 days without signing anyone, they signed Jack Clark and uh, then sent him back whence he came. 10 million uh, quid, yeah. straight back on loan. Tango Dumbelli's come in as well, 55 million. No, he hasn't yet, has he? What? No. Producer I, I, Ben. I don't think he has. I think um, uh, any deal involving Daniel Levy and Jean-Michel Olas has uh, become protracted. <laughs> and it's quite interesting. I think Daniel Levy, for the first time in a long time, he's on the other side of the table. He's now the predator. And uh, if there's anyone in Europe who will Levy Daniel Levy, oh, nice. it's going to be Olas. And um, I saw quotes a couple of days ago from him, Olas, saying if, if this goes on any longer, the price is going to go up. Oof. So uh, if, if those two were the last two <laughs> remaining in a game of Texas Hold'em, who would you back <laughs> to come out on that? I can't see any situation where I don't back Daniel Levy for something like this. No, well, I, I think he'll get his man uh, because uh, Pochettino says he wants him. Um, but uh, I, w- I was rather sceptical about the uh, the sang-froid that was um, floating around surrounding this deal last week. Everyone just saying, oh, well, it's going to happen. It's not a problem. I didn't think it would be that straightforward. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. It may well get confirmed while we're here. Um, let's start with Jack Clark, 18-year-old winger, played less than 16 hours of first-team football, completed 90 minutes just twice last season, but he did score twice, including this beauty against Villa. Clark. Oh, yes. Terrific play! Oh, it is a wonderful goal! Uh, Nick Miller, mm. you're here. You watch a lot of championship. Uh, tell us more. What, who is this kid? Well, he's one of those... He, he's 18 and he looks much younger. Not played a huge amount of football. Um, he's one of those footballers who he, he looks very skinny, but he's actually quite strong. He's got a direct winger. Classic kind of plows away to the byline and then low cross into the middle. Used mainly as an impact substitute last season um, from by Marcel Bielsa, and uh, but a lot of Leeds fans were quite keen for him to play more, especially as the wheels were sort of coming off a little bit during uh, during towards the end of the season. And there's a strong relationship between Pochettino and Bielsa, isn't there? There is. I mean, presumably this is why that uh, you know, they're, they're trusting him to go back on loan for the season. He probably needs another season in the championship. He's, he, if Spurs signed him now, he wasn't going to get really get anywhere near the first team. And obviously, Pochettino has a history of not loaning players that he actually wants to keep out. So him having uh, you know another season with Bielsa is a probably a good reason for that. James Horncastle, you're a man of Yorkshire. Danny Mills used to play in Yorkshire at Leeds uh, he said this weekend he's not Phil Foden not Danny Mills Jack Clark is not Phil Foden 
No, he's Jack um, Clark. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't have thought this needed to be pointed <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, he gets criticism, but he's he's nailed it this time. Jack Clark. This, this is very Phil much Foden. kind of uh, he's a football player kind of <laughs> kind of way of describing we're, someone. We're being facetious. He of plays course, football, but yeah. clearly Danny Mills doesn't rate him in that category as a promising youth talent. Well, I mean, is, Phil Foden is, is right? the premier English talent of uh, of his generation with Jadon Sancho. There are lots of other very promising young English players, uh, regardless of what Eddie Bufroy did with the under-21 team. Uh, uh, this deal works for, for both parties as well, three if you include the player as well, because I think Leeds, um, after the money that they've invested originally with Rajutsani and with what they're paying Marcelo Bielsa, can't really afford to go big again in the summer. So they need to kind of put the trust in young players. They're getting him back on loan. Spurs, you can understand the appeal for Clark in, in going there as well because not only is it a Premier League club, but it's a club that puts its faith in in young British players and Pochettino is someone who's very good at developing them as well. I think it's a win-win for, for everyone involved, really. Duncan, Tottenham's uh, projected £55 million mm. signing. Uh, first of all, you can say his name better than me, obviously, because you're not me. Ndombele. There it is. Yeah, Ndombele will be a bigger signing than uh, Jack Clark in the terms that he'll probably actually play for Tottenham next season. Um, two seasons ago, he was in the top 10 in Europe for dribbles, which is, again, something perhaps Tottenham have missed from, from midfield a little bit. Um, and he got seven assists in Liga last season, which is as many as Meza Ozil and Wilfred Zahar combined, which will please Tottenham fans, I imagine. But yeah, I mean, it's obviously an area they needed to strengthen. Um, if you look at the the runs, the Champions League final, they were they were scraping around really. So, yeah, I think he's pretty proven and uh, be a good signing. All right, James Horncastle, you saw him play in the Champions League. What do you reckon of him? I think it's a great signing. I think they've beaten a lot of um, good European competition for his signature. I think it's a great deal for Lyon as well because they signed him for only eight million euro um, two years ago from from Amiens. And just picking up on what Duncan was saying about his dribbling ability, I think he's one of those guys who manages to to get out of trouble. He's not uh, a dribbler in the way that you associate wingers with dri- dribbling, more in the kind of Moussa Dembele kind of, uh, kind of mould. Um, and uh, I think that's um, going to be quite exciting, really, because I think he's robust enough to, to be able to compete in the Premier League. And that ability to sort of break lines, not with passes, but with... Yeah, that strength and kind of coordination that he's got makes him um, uh, a definite asset. It's just weird to see Spurs sign someone. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Moving on from Spurs, Wilfred Zaha says he wants out of Crystal Palace. Mixed messages, though. He said he wants to play Champions League football and that he wants to move to Arsenal. <laughs> well, that's going to work. Uh, Gunners haven't made Champions League for three seasons in a row now. Um, there is Thursday night football, of course. Uh, incidentally, there's a fantastic uh, series of posts from Swiss Ramble on Twitter about Arsenal's finances, which I realise even as I say it, I'm not selling it. <laughs> but it is really, really interesting. So have a look at that. Zaha though, Duncan, how good have his stats been over the last couple of years? Um, well, he's pretty much been the reason Palace have been alright the last couple of seasons. They um, they went on that losing streak 13 games in a row without him when he missed games between uh, January 2017 and November 2018. Um, and I think what he brings to teams which Arsenal probably don't have is kind of uh, a wide player who puts a shift in. Um, he fourth most tackles by an attacker last season, which is probably something you couldn't level at, say, Mesut Ozil. And he's also just involved in a lot of sequences ending goals. Um, only uh, Callum Wilson and Ryan Fraser were involved in more of a team uh, players at teams in the bottom half. So I think he is someone that will be happy to move to Arsenal and he'll do well there if he goes. Manny, that's a lot of money coming in the Crystal Palace bank account this summer, isn't it? Um, yeah, and um, uh, maybe too much for Arsenal. I mean, um, Wilfred Zaha, as Duncan said, is, has been the difference between Palace staying up and going down. So, you know, what, quantify that in terms of money. That's, that's what did they get last year? It must, you know, over 100 million, I would have thought. Well, this is 150 million if you count right. the Wan-Bissaka money and obviously the yeah, projected but, uh, 100 million coming in here. Is there anything they can do with that that will actually compensate them for losing one of the most promising fullbacks and one of the most effective wingers? Well, we're, we're assuming that Arsenal have got the money. They'll be getting a lot of money from people buying their excellent new kit, I imagine, which Ooh, launched yeah. today and looks very nice. 
Very nice. Uh, they might also be getting a lot of money from offloading Urzel and Mkhitaryan, uh, who, between the pair of them, earn about half a million pound a week trying to hawk them to Italy. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, who's going to take on their wages? For... That's the problem. I think it's less of an issue with Mkhitaryan. It's more of a problem with Mesut Ozil. I don't think Mesut Ozil particularly wants to move on because why would you when you're earning that kind of money? And to be honest, towards the end of last season, um, he did um, get himself back into into the team. So it's a tricky one. Um, that is an albatross around uh, Arsenal's neck, uh, really, you know, with little intention on his part to leave. And again, I think Arsenal would really have to they'd have to take on a hell of a lot of those wages for him to to move on and it would probably be one of those things where you'd structure what a two-year loan three-year loan (laughs) just spread it out this year is really showing actually you know fans focus a lot on transfer fees but clubs can pay transfer fees it's wages that are the problem because if you change your wage structure look at Alexis Sanchez at Manchester United that has a massive knock-on effect and the same with Ozil at Arsenal Mm. you know it's not just that player getting lots of money it's then other players saying well he's on that and I'm better than him Give me more. Manny Zaha, though, he could be the kind of player to turn things around for Arsenal, couldn't he? He's got such spirit and character. He gets kicked up in the air every week, and uh, he still ploughs on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's something they haven't got. He's he's, he's direct. He you know he just he gets on with it. And um, now that Aaron Ramsey's gone, um, they'll they'll need someone like that. But I think Palace, um, obviously, they'll be better off with him staying. But they'd also be better off because when you, th- when you think of how much money they spent on players like Benteke and. Uh, and Sacco, um, having £150 million burning a hole in their bank balance may not prove to be the silver bullet in terms of signing players because, you know, they've got a history of overspending on players who... Sacco's worked out, I think, but Benteke certainly hasn't. They spent, what was it, £30 million on him. Mm. They did have that mice infestation at the training ground. So you, I don't know what 150 million gets you with rent to kill, but decent, I imagine. What's the most expensive cat you can buy? <laughs> buy my cat. It's an evil bastard. Um, side note to this story: uh, Zaha was Alex Ferguson's final signing at Manchester United. Bequeathed him to David Moyes, and this weekend was the day when uh, David Moyes' six-year contract finally expired. A sad day. It I didn't really see is. any um, any speculation about whether they might extend it for you know another year or two. <laughs> What might have been had they had they just locked themselves in? Where do you think Manchester United would be right now, Manny? Right where they are now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't. I think yeah, exactly. All right. Now you might be wondering why we've led with transfer news and not England's uh, incredible progress through to the semi-finals of the Women's World Cup after that fantastic result against Norway. We're not talking about that in too much detail because we're not experts in women's football, and I bloody love experts. Very much the anti-Michael Gove in that, and hope many other respects. I wouldn't put someone on the Scottish football show who wasn't an expert in Scottish football. I wouldn't put someone on the league show who wasn't an expert in league football. All of our experts on women's football are on the offside rule. You can hear it every night on Spotify. It's been on every night there's been football of this tournament and it sounds a lot like this. It's producer Abby here from the Offside Rule Women's World Cup edition and we have hit the semi-finals. We are left with England, the USA, the Netherlands and Sweden. And the competition could not be hotter. Although I think the heat is getting to Lindsay Hooper the most. The team bus is going by and I'm waving with my baguette in my hand. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh, I'm going to try and hide it now. That was a bit embarrassing. What do you think it looks like to those players, this baguette in your hand? It just looks like every other day because I've always got a baguette in my hand (laughs) since I've got to France. For more on that, then search for the Offside Rule on Spotify to give us a listen and get set for the finale of the biggest Women's World Cup we've ever seen. That's the Offside Rule, only on Spotify. Manny, after England's win against Norway, um, you tweeted, with white and bronze playing for England, struggling to think of another team which has had more than one colour in the lineup. Oh, we've got people here to answer that. Duncan, mm. what have you got? Well, I went fairly deep. Um, it's a tricky one because obviously you can have colours within names so technically if you do that the record is uh, four by Tottenham actually when they had Freddie Canute obviously red no, Jam- yeah. yeah I know but this, <laughs> well this is the problem no it's not um, the problem it's, it's very much a black and white uh, situation well this, uh, well this team had Freddie Canute Jamie Redknapp Michael Brown and Nuruddin Nabet so even if you did accept that which I fully accept you shouldn't um, that's still three reds I think probably the best one I could find was three Sunderland when they had Chris Brown, Dean Whitehead, 
and Andy Gray all playing in the same team. Nice. Well, James Varley says Leeds must have had A.D. White, Michael Brown and Paul Green on the pitch at some point. Um, James Wickham suggested Wes Brown and Lauren Blanc, which is you know, it's nice. Uh, any more for any more? Can you name the top scoring colour in Premier League history? I was updating this chart last season because <laughs> why not? <laughs> Kingsley Black? No, Black has accounts uh, for seven goals in Premier League history. David White must have a few. David White uh, contributed to, to the Whites with they've got thirty five in third place. Second, <laughs> second place is the Greys with forty. They had a good oh, season yeah, last year. Yeah. Mm. Um, but miles ahead of everyone else is the Silvers with ninety two. Oh, that kind of silver. Oh. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nick Miller. <laughs> Changing the subject very quickly. Uh, it's all going off in the East Midlands, isn't it? Um, let's start with Nottingham Forest. Um, Martin O'Neill suddenly going. What, what happened there? Oh, God. Uh, so the story is that the story that the club have certainly put out is that the um, players were unhappy with his methods, which is understandable given that they, his methods were minimal, I think. Um, it's always been fascinating to me that Martin O'Neill and Brian Clough really didn't get on. They didn't really like each other that much when they were player and manager, and yet Martin O'Neill has become the manager most like him. Yeah, and he, he, a sort of pet theory is that uh, he, he's his um, effectiveness over the years has declined because he is now managing a generation of players who may plausibly not have heard of Brian Clough and thus aren't particularly impressed with his anecdotes about how he won two, two European Cups with Brian Clough. So the, 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 the story is that the Forest players weren't happy with his methods, which, uh, and, but I also believe that the, the players aren't especially happy with this being kind of hung around their necks, that this is the kind of, you know, they are being blamed for the, the latest sacking. Uh, I mean, the, the, if the start of the coming season had gone in the same way as uh, the sort of last few months of last season O'Neill probably would have been sacked in November anyway so if you're going on that kind of slightly depressing logic then you might as well get this out of the way now while we've got a little bit of pre-season Manny uh, his replacement is Sabri Lamucci Uh, what do we know about him? He's got a very undistinguished record as coach. Um, I, I must say, if there's one team I really, really want to return to the Premier League, it's Nottingham Forest. Um, anyone of, of a certain age, i.e. my age, can't help but have really fond memories of them, not just under the Clough uh, regime, but also afterwards when Frank Clark was there and uh, Collymore and uh, Bohinian and all that, all those guys. But they just seem to be locked in this perpetual disastrous circle of you know false dawn after false dawn uh, or even no false dawn and just abject failure and i don't know why they can't solve it <laughs> someone hug nick someone hug him right now he's not going to get through this but See, this not- is this is sort of the problem with forest is it's not it's actually not abject failure it's just kind of quite rubbish <laughs> no, there's, there's not even apart from getting relegated to to League One we're in League One for three years. Spurts when you think, oh, okay, they're doing quite well here, aren't they? And then mm. and then it all falls away. In you know several times sometimes in in the course of an entire season. But is it not more depressing to be a Derby County fan, given that they're always so close to getting back up there? And let's not forget they won two titles in the seventies as well. <laughs> look on Nick's face suggests he doesn't want to be reminded of that. Um, always no, no, so I'm, close. I'm perfectly happy with the two European Cups. <laughs> Forest have won two European Cups. They have. Should yes. make more of that. Someone should uh, tell Matt Davis Adams. 1979-1980. I'd look it up. Derby, however, um, appear to be lining up Philip Koku. Is there, is there any truth in that? Well, I mean, uh, apparently Koku is being sort of touted around for for jobs. Um, a quick look at the uh, odds for the next Derby manager. Koku is the favourite. Second favourite is Darren Moore, who of course played for Derby in their glorious 2007-8 season. So they're Oof. looking to, you know, relive the past there. Uh, and then there's Danny Cowley. Now, obviously, the odds for these things aren't necessarily a true reflection of the the Derby's wanted list. But there's not a, a, a sort of really a, a big through line there. They're looking for. If if those names are correct, they're looking for looking at very three very different managers there. It's gonna be a strange 
team to go into as well. Frank Lampard is actually still in charge of Frank Lampard's derby. Um, he's still actually in charge of Frank Lampard's derby, um, though he's not taking the first day of pre-season training today. Um, Koku would be quite a signing, given those three titles with PSV, a, a point where everyone was linking him with sort of Arsenal and Liverpool. And almost relegating Fenerbahce. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, has this tarnished his, his reputation so much that a move to derby is... You know, the, the, the rescue job. It's one of those things, as we saw with Frank de Boer, where you have to be careful about picking your next job outside of, of Holland. Because we saw with uh, de Boer, uh, went uh, to Inter in the wrong circumstances and suffered because of it, and then kind of rushed into his next job in, in, a, in an attempt to kind of save face uh, and uh, resurrect his career. And that was a disaster at Palace um, as well. So if I were Derby. But also, if I were Philip Cocker, I'd be kind of quite careful in weighing up <laughs> what my next move would be. Um, while we're talking about managers, let's talk about Rafa Benitez. Uh, he's written a long message to the Newcastle fans, which I'm absolutely not going to read out here. Um, there's there's only one bit that's pertinent, really, which is a bit that says, I wanted to stay. Uh, I didn't just want to sign an extended contract. I wanted to be part of a project. Unfortunately, it became increasingly clear to me that those at the top of the club did not share the same vision. Manny, what do you make of all this? Uh, well, it was inevitable. And, um, I mean, any manager worth his salt would have a different vision from the Newcastle hierarchy. And it's just it's such a shame because, you know, they, they looked like they were going some going places towards the end of last season. Almiron was a, was a really good signing and Rondon, it looked like, would stay or sign contract to stay. And then just, it's, you know, Forrest-esque, really. It's just, it's just fallen apart. So yeah. Anti-Forrest today. <laughs> doing a Forrest has become the new doing a lead. I say so. that with pain in my heart, because as I say, there's nothing I want more than Forrest to do well. Let's have a look at the odds, uh, courtesy of Paddy Power for a replacement at Newcastle. Uh, Mikel Arteta at 11-4, he'd be mad. Uh, Sean Deitch at 7-1, to one. there's a possible there, though I honestly think that he's too prickly. And that in that kind of goldfish bowl of the northeast, I think he might make a lot of enemies very quickly. Uh, Nick, am I am I being harsher? No, not at all. He presumably Burnley would also want some kind of hefty compensation. You'd for him, think, so wouldn't you? That probably rules that one out. James Horncastle, could you see Roberto Martinez at fifteen to two? <laughs> I mean, Roberto Martinez has, has has gone from being linked with the Barcelona job <laughs> to, to to Newcastle. No disrespect to Newcastle, but uh, I think given he uh, he's keen to finish what he started with uh, with Belgium, I think he'll stick around there. To be fair, Manny David Moyes is nine to one, um, having been relegated with Sunderland. It would be an odd choice, but not one I would put past Mike Ashley. Yeah, I mean, basically, you're looking for the cheapest option, aren't you? And uh, I also saw um, my old friend Anthony Hus- uh, Hudson, who's uh, who was the coach of New Zealand and uh, is now coaching in MLS. He was linked, and he's the kind of signing I think that Mike Ashley would go for because he's cheap and low maintenance and unlikely to chirp uh, when things aren't going well in the transfer window. And that's the kind of that's the kind of guy. Mike Ashley okay. wants it? low well, maintenance. That, that's the spirit of the Newcastle fans broken as well as the Nottingham Forest fans. Who else can we crush? Um, well, we talked about David Moyes' contract earlier and uh, Alan Pardew's eight-year contract with Newcastle still has about a year left. So <laughs> just get Pards in for a season. The fans will be up for that, I'm sure. All right, uh, Nick Miller, time to say goodbye. Thank you very much. Farewell. But still to come, we'll hear about Manny's trip to the Africa Cup of Nations and Jack Lang will be on the line about the upcoming Copper America semi-finals and that's all coming up after this. Whether you're a tip-top athlete, an occasional gym-goer or, like me, getting a bit soft around the middle as you hit your 40s, it's important to know what's going on inside your body. That's why we've teamed up with Thriver. With Thriver's smart at-home blood test kit, you can measure and track key biomarkers over time, like cholesterol, liver function, vitamin D, B12, folate, diabetes indicators and more. Just do their finger prick test, post the sample off to their third-party accredited lab, and within 48 hours you'll get your GP results and personal recommendations on how to improve everything from your sleep, your mood and fitness levels, all the way to your heart health. So whether you want to understand why you've been feeling so tired lately, or just want a bit of an MOT for your body, Thriver arms you with the ability to control your own health. 
Find out more and get £25 off your personalised kit by entering the code FOOTBALL at thriver.co. That's T-H-R-I-V-A dot C-O and the offer code FOOTBALL. Hey, Duncan Alexander. Hey. You like stats, don't you? Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, ish. get a load of this. You will love this new book called Football Hackers, colon, The Science and Art of a Data Revolution. That is right up your strata. It's written by the German football journalist Christoph Biermann, and it's all about metrics and numbers and XGs and how it's transformed the game from just run around a bit to, you know, a bit like football manager. Uh, Christoph popped into the studio, and here he is. Sometimes you can identify qualities of players before that probably didn't have numbers for. So and um, and that's good. I mean, because I mean, Özil is is a good example because he is very controversial. But, but probably you identify overseen players so that are not very spectacular or play with smaller teams and 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 have this quality. And and so again, uh, it's better to have uh, data than not, and it's better to have intelligent data than not. Well, if you enjoyed that snippet, we'll be putting out the full conversation on Wednesday. The book is called Football Hackers, and it's out now. James Horncastle, you've read it, haven't you? I have. Sensational. All right. Yeah, yeah that's I going on the back I heartily recommend it. Unfortunately, there are already blurbs on there, which are not. Yeah, but it's probably going to get, get a second edition, so this is your time to get Yeah, on, I get think it probably cover. will. No, it's it's uh, it's super. Lots of insightful detail in there. Takes you really behind the, the laptop. <laughs> really want yeah. that cover quote. Well yeah. played. Yeah. I'll tell you what. Now it's time for the classified football results. Colombia nil, Chile nil, Uruguay nil, Peru nil, Mauritania nil, Angola nil, Cameroon nil, Ghana. Quite the weekend of football. They were the scores after extra time on Saturday in the Premier competitions for two of football's most exciting continents. Uh, things got much better on Sunday with another win for the host Egypt, 2-0 against Uganda. Uh, Dr Congo beat Zimbabwe, 4-0. And Madagascar's shock 2-0 win against Nigeria means that the Malagasy, for that is how you say it, thank you, Manny, playing in a first-ever AFCON, a through to the last 16. Manny, you were in Egypt last week for the BBC's World Football Show, which you can hear on the World Service, a very excellent podcast, often featuring our own friend Pat Nevin. What the hell's going on with Madagascar? How is this happening? Yeah, it's extraordinary. I mean, uh, there's there's a reasonably good chance of going through because of the format, 24 teams, so in four of the six groups, the top three go through. But there's no way anyone expected them to to be top. It's it's amazing, you know. Their their coach combines managing Malag- uh, Madagascar with managing a team in the fourth division of French football. Um, it's the uh, one of the unhappiest countries in the world, Madagascar, because of its poverty. And I don't know if they were dancing on the streets of Antananarivo after they beat Nigeria, but they should have been, um, because now they've they've got a real chance of getting through to the, through to the quarterfinals because they'll play one of the four, uh, the one of the third place teams in the next round. While Nigeria, um, it looks like, are going to be up against Cameroon or Ghana in the second round. And, you know, that's that's more of a clash between two big names than it is between two great teams. Because uh, Ghana have have sort of stumbled and struggled along. Cameroon haven't been great. No one's really been great so far. We haven't really seen a team that you think, okay, they're the ones to beat. And that's partly because of this... Uh, this format is very difficult to judge who the best teams are, except for when they play, uh, you know, the second best team in their group. But yeah, big shock for Nigeria. They rested some of their players. They were already through before the game, but they were not. Nobody was expecting them to finish anywhere other than top in a group with Burundi, Guinea and Madagascar. But that's what's happened. All right, uh, more drama over with Egypt as well. Uh, Amir Wada kicked out the squad, and uh, and with some justification, you'd think, but now he's back. 
Yes, uh, Amr Warda was uh, uh, kicked out of Egypt squad last week uh, because several women um, have accused him of sexual harassment online. But then a couple of days later, he was back in the squad, um, albeit uh, he was suspended for games uh, in, in the group stage. So he can't play. Well, he can play now because they've played their last group game. And uh, it's thought that that was because the senior players in the Egypt team asked for him to come back. They, they won their second game and uh, El Mohamedi, their captain, uh, made the 22 sign uh, to celebrate the goal. That's his shirt number. And um, the, But the big thing, really, that got everyone talking, apart from um, the, the sort of disbelief that he was allowed back in after he, after he po- apologised for... Uh, what for the for what uh, he's been accused of doing? Um, the big thing was that Mohammed Salah did something very rare for him and actually um, put out a statement in support of him. But it was a statement that you thought was probably written by a PR kid, probably who works around the corner from here, probably and probably he's <laughs> called Jez. It was it was the <laughs> least um, sincere. And and footballer, you know, it was not, none of that, not a single word of that you can imagine coming out of any footballer's mouths, let alone Mohamed Salah, who just two months ago came out very strongly, uh, you know, in favour of, of feminism and women's rights and, um, and, and equal treatment and that sort of thing. But this was a completely the opposite message. Um, he said that, you know, it, you know, he started by saying, of course, it's wrong to sexually harass women. But then he launched into this thing about how everyone deserves a second chance and nobody should be taken to the guillotine. Um, so that hasn't gone down well. Um, Egypt is a very, very chauvinistic country. In 2013, a UN study said that 99% of Egyptian women have suffered some form of sexual harassment, quite often uh, even more serious offences are, uh, are swept under the carpet. Um, so Egyptian f- females and Egyptian female football fans are up in arms about this. But, you know, you wonder what would happen if when if, if uh, Amr Awadah comes on the pitch. He's not a first-team starter, but if he comes on and scores the crucial goal in one of the knockout games, football is so fickle, isn't it? You don't know um, what the what the reaction will be if people will temporarily forgive him for this or not but it's it was the it was the big story of the first week and it you know it hasn't reflected well on the players hasn't reflected well on Salah and it certainly hasn't reflected well on the Egyptian Football Federation. So Manny what is it like out in Egypt what are they like as a, as a host how excited are they? Uh, well Egypt I'd, I'd never been to Egypt before in any capacity and I didn't realize how obsessed they are with football and they really are. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's what you might describe as a proper football country. And, um, you know, they're getting the stadiums packed for their for their games. Um, and I haven't been to any of their games. Um, but speaking to people who have, you know, when, whenever Mohamed Salah scores, it's, it's almost like a religious moment for, for anyone who's inside the stadium. Um, it's feverish. They're really excited about hosting. They, re- they only got the tournament six months ago typical CAF um, they uh, gave it to someone who they didn't choose initially to host it Cameroon Um, and there's a lot of excitement they went through their group with nine points no goals conceded but possibly the least convincing three wins out of three that's that's ever happened in a a tournament anywhere Um, you know there are holes in their defence and uh, they'll be tested at some point I'm sure but in terms of the people um, it's hot it's really hot and you know they're warm-blooded, typical Middle Easterns, a bit like me, and obsessed with football. And it's uh, it's 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 great to be in a country that is like that when when they're hosting a football competition. Now we should explain to our listeners at this point, Manny, that you're registered blind. Um, well, I am blind. Saying saying registered blind is a bit like saying that I signed up to it but didn't pay for the subscription. <laughs> Did you pay for the subscription? <laughs> we have ways every of checking month, these things every month. So how do you experience games? Uh, well, I. Um, 
I hear the atmosphere. When I, if I go as a fan, I either usually take a radio with me if it's a game where I, I think there's going to be commentary and uh, uh, so I find out what's going on on the pitch that way. Or if I go with friends, they'll tell me. There was one time I went to Spurs many years ago and um, the uh, I was hoping there would be commentary, but there wasn't any commentary. And I thought, oh, you know, shall I stay? Because it was the end of the season and that, this was the old days when Tottenham didn't have anything to play for from about December. And uh, there was a guy next to me who some reason must have sensed this and he just spontaneously commentated for me for the entire game that's outstanding isn't it that's brilliant was it a good commentary it was a good commentary terrible game which was a shame <laughs> but it was a it was a great commentary did he sort of take it off in directions as well as talking about the game he talked about you know the weather and the nice bit of cake it had no no like he, didn't, he didn't do any of that he's, he's stuck to the pitch it was always very much a staple of Roy the Rovers wasn't it that the crowd would would do the commentary yeah. you know, they'd be like oh race is good from this range I wonder if he'll have a shot and he's then, clean <laughs> through uh, final word on AFCON Manny uh, which teams have impressed you the most uh, Algeria and Morocco so far um, as I say it's difficult to judge at this stage but um, Algeria, uh, they they both beat uh, the the second best teams in their group. Algeria beat Senegal, who are the top ranked nation in Africa, and Morocco beat Ivory Coast. But you can tell why um, no African teams went beyond the group stage at the World Cup last year so far. Um, you know the the days of the superstars. You remember the Afcon used to be absolutely littered with great names. Um, it isn't anymore. Um, there's Salah and there's Mane, but big, big names. That's that's about it so far. Um, but I suppose you know, if you want to take a positive view of it, there's a blank canvas for someone to step up. Well, absolutely. Um, uh, moving on to a different tournament, you tweeted that Mexico Costa Rica in the quarterfinal of the Gold Cup. Um, that had by far the best atmosphere you've heard in oh, any yeah. of the tournaments this summer. Definitely. Here's a taster. Um, in South America, things are starting to get pretty tasty as a Copa America moves into the semi-final stage. Argentina will play Brazil on Wednesday. That's worth staying up for. And Chile will take on Peru on Thursday. Sounds pretty tasty. Here's Jack Lang to tell us more. Jack, what's been funny to observe over the last few days, um, Argentina making it to the semis or Luis Suarez leaving the field in tears after missing a penalty? Having Argentina in the semi-finals isn't that funny. It's, it's good, I think, for the spectacle of the tournament to have a, a real standout game. Uh, the quarterfinals, I guess washout would be a bit strong, but it certainly wasn't amazing entertainment. Two goals across four games, that's the lowest ever at this stage of the tournament. Uh, by a long way as well, I think the, the previous lows were seven in 2011. Three goalless draws, all of which resulted in penalties. It's a bit of a quirk of the rules that there wasn't extra time in the quarterfinals, which I'm not really sure why. It's a bit stupid, but in the end, it saved us well, an hour and a half of more turgid football, so I was quite pleased for that in the end. Suarez crying, like, I suppose that was quite funny, but then he's been he's been one of the characters of this tournament, as always, uh, appealing for a handball by, by the goalkeeper in the Chile match. That was a good laugh, and trying to get someone sent off for hacking down a streaker. So he's been typically involved but seeing him going out like that will have, will have tickled some people for sure. And finally, Jack, during our conversation, we talked about the poor attendances and the poor atmospheres at the games. Uh, this weekend saw a distinct lack of goals. Um, why has this been such a poor Copa America? And uh, is there hope, though, that it still might yet come good in the end? Yeah, I suppose it has been a fairly mediocre competition. When you look at the, the big teams underperforming, you look at uh, fairly defensive football, poor ticket sales... Brazil v Argentina is the big hope of it springing into life. That is uh, definitely a fixture that everyone wants to see at some point. And it might not be a bad thing that it's coming to the semi-final rather than the final because it, it might mean there's a little bit less uh, nerves and tension and we might actually get a bit more football out of it. Uh, why it's been a bad tournament? Well, there's been a lot of talk about the pitches. That hasn't helped for sure. The, the actual quality of the grass in some of the stadiums. Beyond that, uh, tiredness for a lot of the players coming in off long old seasons and remember this is the the first Copa America in two years in a row they're going to be again having having already had two in a row in 2015 and 16 so perhaps a little bit of summer tournament overkill you might say but then beyond that there's the the broader strokes of the development of American football compared to European football there's uh, Jorge Valdano who's been writing in El País 
has said that South American football just feels like a almost like a satellite operation. The, the ideas from, from European football really take some time to get over here and most coaches, their idea of, of balance here is putting nine, ten men behind the ball and looking for one or two to create some magic. So it, once you consider that Argentina haven't won any major trophy for, for years and years and they're maybe not producing as many young players as they used to, Chile's golden generation is coming to an end, even though they've done well. Uh, and you know, other countries are kind of building under new coaches. That's the case for, for Colombia, for Chile, for Paraguay, for example. There's a lot of flux, and it means that there has kind of been a short-termism that's become endemic in, in South American football because the, all these teams have had so many coaches uh, in such a short amount of time. So maybe it's a cultural thing. Producer Ben speaking to Jack Lang there, live fish in a Rio shopping centre. Oh, the glamour. Jack is covering the Copper America for The Athletic and working on his tan. And you can keep up with him at Jack Lang on Twitter. That's J-A-C-K-L-A-N-G. And having spent a week in Casa del Muddy in Porto with Jack, I can tell you that his moustache and short shorts make him look like he wouldn't be out of place in a Panini sticker album circa 1984 which is a nice way for us to move to this. Panini is the original and best name in sticker collecting, and they're now a partner of the Premier League. That means you can look forward to both the Premier League official sticker collection and Adrenaline XL Premier League trading cards very, very soon. But right now, you can get your hands on the brand new Premier League Panini tabloid sticker collection, celebrating the highs and lows of the 2018-19 season. It's the 21st century now, and this Panini album comes with QR codes, which give you access to exclusive video clips of the season's most dramatic and sensational moments, like Andros Townsend's worldie against Man City, Kevin De Bruyne's stunning assist of Raheem Sterling in a return fixture, and Jordan Pickford's brain fart in the 96th minute against Liverpool. There are five stickers in every pack, so how about kicking off your collection with a starter kit, which includes an album and 20 stickers for just £3.99. Find out more at panini.co.uk. That's P-A-N-I-N-I.co.uk. And follow them on Twitter at Official Panini, on Instagram at Panini UK Official, and use the hashtag GotGotNeed. James Horncastle... I need you to tell me what's going on in Italian football. AC Milan thrown out of Europe? Yes, Ian. They have been punished for transgressions of their, well, former two owners, um, breaches yeah. of financial fair play under Silvio Berlusconi what? slash Mr. B. Remember the Thai guy who said that he wanted to buy Milan, so they went and spent money ahead of him taking over the club, and then he didn't take over the club. That wasn't good. And then Lee Yong Hong um, took over instead, paid an absolute fortune uh, for Milan uh, with a load of debt, lost control of the club, having spent a fortune on players as well. So this is the tab, I suppose, that uh, uh, Milan's new owners, Elliot, hedge fund worth about $35 billion, Ivan Gazidis, have had to pick up. So the deal that they've kind of done is is rather than be um, punished again, um, they've looked at these two cases and say, can we just merge them into one? <laughs> we'll be out of Europe for a year. That's fine. But as long as we get a little bit more breathing space to break either, even in the meantime, that's something that we're we're willing to take. So that's the agreement that they've, they've come to. Um, but... Yeah, it doesn't mean that Milan can go and spend as they wish uh, this this summer because, look, if they have aspirations to be in the Champions League next season, they'll come under a monitoring uh, period again with uh, UEFA well, pretty much from, from January onwards. Um, so, But it doesn't look good, I would say, um, for, for a, a team that has, has won the Champions League, has defined itself um, by, by winning the Champions League on more occasions than any other team apart from Real Madrid. Um, to be not only thrown out of Europe, but kind of the Europa League is <laughs> not I mean, that, great. That's the final insult, isn't it? But, um, I mean, this has dragged on and on and on to the point that Roma basically was supposed to be on tour in the US um, and have had to withdraw from that. They then like uh, decided that they were going to go on tour uh, within Italy in Pinzolo, but they had to withdraw from that, so they've lost money. 
They go into the group stages of the Europa League, which is where Milan were supposed to be uh, competing. And Torino have basically been told, right, you have to get off the beach, fly back home as soon as you can. We've got uh, we've got some Euro qualifiers coming up. Nice. So, yeah, it's um, had quite a lot of repercussions, not just uh, not just for for AC Milan. Okay, Inter. In the meantime, uh, Conte's manager there, of course. How's he getting on trying to sign Romelu Lukaku? I think they will sign Lukaku. Um, I think uh, at the moment today, uh, it's uh, July 1st, which is a new contract here in uh, in the world of football. So we've seen him to announce Diego Codin today, uh, another one of their uh, freebies to follow what Stefan de Vrij last year. But um, yeah, they want uh, a new centre forward, maybe two, um, and they've been linked with Lukaku, who's definitely the more expensive of the pair. The other is Edin Dzeko. The issue that they've got is offloading Maro Icardi because even though he is what top ten all-time top scorer for Inter in all competitions, two-time uh, top scorer in Serie A, um, still in his prime, uh, no one wants to go near him uh, after everything that went on uh, last year. So uh, Inter definitely need to bring in some funds in that regard if they are to get that Lukaku deal over the line, but. Lukaku, as we saw on Instagram, wearing black and blue basketball uh, jerseys and yeah, very much signalling where he wants come to be. And get me, please. <laughs> um, Juventus, uh, three names linked. Delict, is it done yet? It's not done yet, but it's practically done. All right. Uh, uh, Jean Luigi Buffon. Wow. <laughs> wow. Nah. Buffon is coming back. Buffon. Yeah. Yeah, another free transfer. Yeah, Juventus will make three this summer. Um, Adrian Rabio is having his medical as we speak. Aaron Ramsey has been announced, but we all know that. And Buffon will rejoin the club on a free to... How do we think Chesney's going to feel about that? <laughs> Chesney loves Gigi. Um, and I don't think he sees this as a challenge. I think in some respects this is quite a shrewd move for Juve to let's say bring in some money because um, the backup goalkeeper Mattia Perin who came in last year did not get as much game time as he he thought he believed he could push Chesney for the number one spot was unable to I think Juventus are looking for maybe to get 20 million for Perin which will go some way to uh, signing Delict. and Buffon's just basically going to sort of stand around clap hope they win the Champions League nice. and uh, and then move upstairs. Oh, so. I'll be happy with that. Yeah. Uh, what about Burnley's Dwight McNeil linked with a move to Juventus? Yeah, so the first I heard of this was uh, when I came into the office today and you brought up the name <laughs> of, uh, of Dwight McNeil. Um, so, yeah, I can't give you any kind of detailed reporting on that something that I'll endeavour to do when we get off uh, off the podcast but possibly not one to, to bank on he, well, he's the only teenager uh, to start a Premier League game for Burnley that's um, outstanding he is young enough to be uh, Buffon's son although I, I'm Most informed he isn't yeah <laughs> <laughs> um all right, we've just about got time to mention the under-21s, which came to an end last night. Final between Germany and Spain. Who saw this? I did. Hello. What <laughs> happened? I did not see that. Spain won oh. uh, in Udine, and uh, and they were deserved winners as well. Not just in the game, but I think in the tournament as a whole. Really bounced back from that opening day defeat um, to Italy in Bologna. I think, again, uh, Spain just showing that well, this century, they they are the team when it comes to producing talent. They are the country because uh, by winning the under-21s, um, it's their fifth title. They go level with, with Italy, who very much uh, made this competition their own in the 90s. Um, but you look at some of the midfield talent in uh, in this uh, Spain side, Fabian Ruiz, uh, Danny Ceballos. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Ceballos this summer. In 2013, they, they won it, of course, with uh, De Gea and Isco. Morata. Is there anyone in this team you think will, will, will be that good? Well, Ceballos was the player of the tournament two years ago and moved to Real Madrid and hasn't really had much of an opportunity um, to show what he's he's made of there. And I think that's why there's going to be interest in uh, him moving on uh, I think he wants to make it at Real Madrid, but realistically, I think in order to get the kind of game time he needs to develop, he has to go elsewhere. And the player of the tournament this time around was Fabian Ruiz, who Napoli signed from uh, Real Betis last uh, last summer. Uh, and very much, I think, the complete midfield player. Um, you know, we've seen that um, not only in Serie A, but the Champions League, someone who can play all over midfield and, and contribute in a decisive way. So um, I think Fabian is 
Napoli already looking to extend this contract and take the buyout clause out of it because they recognise that he's a very big talent. Right, Duncan, terrible tournament for England. Um, A.D. Boufroyd, what, what would you put his survival hopes at? Well, you'd think he wouldn't have many. Um, but <laughs> the, the problem with under-21... In football, that yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. But he's very much a you know an FA man, and he's done some good behind-the-scenes the work. But obviously, England came into the tournament with high hopes and defensively particularly looked pretty, pretty ropey. Um, so you'd imagine that he might get shifted before the next tournament. All right, well, that is it for another summer edition of the Totally Football Show, unless anyone's got anything to add. One thing Go is on. Wimbledon starts today, yeah. and I'm not a huge tennis fan, but I like football, so I tried to find a connection, and the only team in English league history to recall three results in a row that would win you a Grand Slam men's tennis match, Plymouth, in 1925. They ended the season uh, with a 6-0 win and then started the following season with two 6-2 wins. So 6-0, 6-2, 6-2, progress through to the next round. You are a very, very special individual. (laughs) Thank you very much for being in our lives. Uh, Manny, thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having Um, me. If people want to follow you on Twitter, what do they do? Um, They follow at BBC underscore Manny and... uh, I mean, you already do, but if you don't, for some reason, then uh, the podcast, The World Football, is out on Friday. That, that's The World Football Show uh, with you and Pat Nevin from time to time. and Heather O'Reilly, former USA international, gold medal winner. Excellent. And uh, Peter Rodden Wingy as well. Oh, really? Mm. Oh, there's a very obvious joke I can make there, and I hope everyone respects me for not making it. Coming up this week on the Totally Football Show feed, Alvaro Romeo and Michael Cox talking tiki-taka and Spain's World Cup and Euro winning sides of 2008-2012. Listen to that and buy Michael Cox's book, Zonal Marking. Uh, Good luck to England this week. Remember, the offside rule is the only place for all your Women's World Cup needs. It's only on Spotify. It's ad-free. It's absolutely free. You can download it to your phone. You don't even have to stream it and use up your data. So get all over that and keep up to date with all things Totally Football by following us on Twitter at The Totally Show. See you soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.